I'm Dean Newland, and welcome to the Business of Intuition, where I coach, facilitate, train, and speak on the hard science and meaningful experience of intuitive leadership in business, so you can make better decisions, forge real connections, and creatively solve problems to amplify your impact and simplify your life. Welcome to the Business of Intuition. Huge global events like wars, economic downturns, and certainly pandemics ripple through each and every industry within the business world. Think about what has happened with restaurants or manufacturing, and it's certainly when it comes to healthcare. Healthcare has had a bit of a struggle as it's been able to try to dust off from the last two years and refine itself and look to the future for new innovative ways to become more efficient and to serve their patients. My next guest on the business of intuition describes healthcare in a case study format that I think all of us can learn from by looking at what has healthcare learned as a result of the pandemic. What sort of ways is it trying to change to be able to keep up with all of the innovations that are happening in other industries and to be more efficient and effective? And lastly, where is healthcare going to be in 20 years? What's the patient experience going to be like in the next 20, 25 years? And so my next guest is going to talk about these three different areas and listen to it from a standpoint of not just from a healthcare perspective, but are there some lessons learned based on what he's saying from your own industry that you can transfer and maybe apply in your day-to-day work. My next guest is Naveed Alipour, and he is the Chief Executive Officer at AI Med Global, a company focused on artificial intelligence technology that improves healthcare and helps save lives. AI Med Global is a roll-up of two companies Naveed co-founded, which are Cure Metrics and Cure Match. He is also a founder of AI-focused VC fund analytics ventures. Through the founding of multiple artificial intelligence companies, Naveed is a longtime entrepreneur in the AI space with an emphasis on the convergence of AI and life sciences, which is also called wellness sciences. He seeks to identify scientists and domain experts in their respective fields so that they can solve massive pain problems to take to the market by building companies from inception. Well, he is a VC and part of the founding of Analytics Ventures, he considers himself an entrepreneur at heart. My next guest, Naveed Alipur on the Business of Intuition. So, Nabeed, it is somewhat interesting coincidence that you and I are talking because uh, I know that you are into healthcare and early detection and AI and and doing a lot of work to transform the industry, which I really want to hear your thoughts on it. But last night, somehow, for some reason, I had my annual well-man you know, uh, meeting with my doc. So here I am the morning after I'm talking to somebody in healthcare. So interesting sort of uh, coincidence there. So, Naveed, I guess uh, my first question is, you know, as you think about COVID, what we learned from a, a healthcare industry perspective, I've heard some crazy numbers. 
that somewhere around 500,000 nurses have left the industry never to return. Uh, burnout within the physicians are really high. Yeah. Uh, it's even though we're heading into supposedly a, a recession, we're still having a hard time finding good people. There's a lot of private venture capital, primary care organizations popping up, creating relationships with Walmart and you know these other major pharmacies and so forth. My question is in this, how is, uh, what's the current state of affairs with respect to healthcare as a whole? And I know that's an unfair question. And where, where do you feel it needs to go? So those are two pieces of the same pie. Sure. No, uh, Dean, first off, thank you for having me. And great question. I'll, I'll, I'll try to peel back the layers on that because uh, sure. there's, there's a lot there. So It's massive. Yeah. Matt, I mean, and look, I, I'm a glass half full guy. You, you can't be an entrepreneur. You can't do what we do, uh, you know, without being optimistic and looking at the positive side and the opportunities and the potential, but just to uh, be realistic in the lay of the land, cancer rates are skyrocketing. And part of that is because people delayed going to their doctor, right? And, uh, services like mammography were not considered an essential service in 2020. So for most of 2020, women did not get mammograms. And then when, uh, it was, they could go back in and schedule them. Either they were scared to, you know, go into, uh, public with everything that happened, or there's a huge backlog. You do have a, a lot of burnout and people chose a lot of people in the medical profession cho chose to retire early. So there is a shortage of doctors and it's even a bigger problem outside of the U S in the U S we do have a, a shortage of mammographers. We need more in regards to, you know, for, for breast cancer detection, it's, it's an even bigger problem in the rest of the world. And so that's where mm. what we do at Cure Metrics, for example, is huge because we're there to empower the doctor to be able to take care of more patients and see more mammograms and get to the ones that are more suspicious versus not faster. So in helping that workflow to say, uh, you know, this batch of mammograms, nothing suspicious detected. Look at it when you have time, because they do have to look at all of them. This other batch, anomalies detected, get to them ASAP, get it to your top radiologist, your senior, you know, mammographer, you know, get, get to these women immediately. That in and of itself is a big workflow benefit to radiologists. So on that front, you know, what we're trying to really promote and advocate is for people to to schedule those daily annual checkups, uh, you know, schedule your mammograms, your colonoscopies, because we all know the odds of survival are significantly higher if you catch it earlier. And part of the problem right now is that a lot of uh, cancers that are being caught uh, are farther along in later stage because of COVID and people not seeing their doctors. It's made such, I mean, I just hadn't thought about that. You know, as I, took, I told you before we started this conversation live that we do a fair amount of work in healthcare, but I never thought about the the downstream effects of people holding off on these tests during COVID. It's almost like a supply chain issue, you know? And so I also know this is more from a financial perspective that a lot of healthcare organizations right now are posting really poor results financially. You know, like last year was a really tough year. Some of them are, you know, underwater. And I'm sure the merger and acquisition people are just chomping at the bit, you know, to pick up some of these failing and struggling smaller 
enterprises. But is it a sense that cancer treatments are going higher, and that's usually where reimbursement rates are better? Do you see that the economics of healthcare is going to rebound because of this delayed reaction to getting these tests done? So yes, the short answer is yes. And also, uh, you know, in regards to the economics of it, uh, you, if you, you think of, uh, you know, plastic surgery and, you know, voluntary procedures that are out of pocket, that is just pure, that, that cash flow. It's your pure profit, right? Almost. Right. Pure profit. It, yeah. It, 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 for, cash for surgery centers, for hospitals, for anesthesiologists that are needed for every surgery. And sure. so when, you know, this wasn't happening, yeah, it de definitely it impacted the economics across the board. So yeah, I do think that it's going to improve that whether it's for, you know, vanity purposes or essential services like, you know, treating cancer or heart disease, you know, on that front as well. Uh, I can't speak for you or others. I definitely gained the COVID-19 and put on a couple of pounds during uh, the 20, you know, 20 period that I'm yeah, yeah. in people, it, you know, they, that affects your health. That affects heart disease rates, it affects, you know, diabetes, it affects, you know, kidney disease, so many things. So I do think that, uh, you know, we as a society globally, but, you know, focus here in the U.S., you know, we need to kind of step up our game and taking care of ourselves here. And there's so many amazing technologies out there. And that's where I'm a big advocate of, you know, get that early detection. And then when it's time to do something, You'll get a second opinion, whatever, if, whether it's a surgery, a back surgery, uh, heart-related surgery, uh, a chemo treatment, a radiation. I'm a big proponent of get a second opinion before you do anything uh, serious. Right. Got it. And so give us a, th because like, you know, your bio is certainly there for those to see. And I gave it, them a, a quick introduction of you, you know, prior to our conversation, but give us a 30 second of, of what your company does and that also how are you leveraging the efficiencies of ai uh, would have to be happy to, to dig in there so ai met global is just our dba name our umbrella kind of holding company for cure metrics and cure match the two companies that uh, i co-founded with some amazing scientists and doctors and rocket scientists literally from uc san diego so some people may or may not know UC San Diego is one of the birthplaces, one of the epicenters of artificial intelligence. And a, a few years ago from, you know, our investment, Harvard Analytics Ventures, we, we, you know, we were investing in software companies and we were approached by some scientists that uh, literally had done work for NASA and had worked at Los Alamos and detecting anomalies in space weather. Um, and they said, hey, we, you know, we're these AI machine learning experts. Uh, anywhere you could use this to make a recommendation, a prediction, a forecast, or to detect anomalies that don't belong, there's an opportunity to bring efficiencies, to increase revenues. And and we said, well, that's great. How can we apply it to healthcare? We're in San Diego. That is a competitive advantage. Uh, and in the interest of time, that's where we said, hey, can you detect breast cancer better than existing computer-assisted detection technologies from a mammogram? And they very confidently said, yes, we can. So that was the genesis of us starting Cure Metrics, which fast forward uh, to present day, we uh, are arguably the best technology in the world in detecting breast cancer from a mammogram. And uh, what we do that no one else does is we also detect heart disease from the same mammogram, a two for one, which uh, I'd be happy to delve into that 
as, as we continue this this podcast, where uh, heart disease is considered the silent killer amongst women, because sixty five percent of them die on that first heart attack, completely asymptomatic. Whereas us men have chest pain, we have shortness of breath. You go to the doctor, uh, you know they do the tests, they put you on statins, which again, just getting on the statin alone reduces reduces the risk of a cardiac event by sixty, you know, fifty sixty percent. So if a a woman who's forty two years old is in good shape. Maybe she's not a triathlete, but she's relatively in good shape, eats relatively well, doesn't know she has any heart disease in the family, goes in for that first mammogram in her early 40s. And if we detect breast arterial calcification, which is the early onset of heart disease, we just added years to her life potentially and eliminated or delayed a potential cardiac event because now she goes to a cardiologist, she does the EKG stress test, she you know, gets on you know, appropriate medication and she can be proactive from that early, you know, that much earlier than, unfortunately, a, a heart attack at, let's say, the age of 52 or 48 or, you know, where you're behind the eight ball. So that early detection is huge. And then on the Cure Match side, we started Cure Match with an, one of the top oncologists in the world, a lady by the name of Dr. Rizal Kurzrock. That's K-U-R-Z-R-O-C-K for your listeners. If you Google her, you'll find a ton of content. And we met her because my business partner got cancer. Uh, so mm-hmm. if he not gotten cancer, we would have uh, never met her and Cure Match would not exist. And what we do there, in short, and then I'll hit pause, it's pan cancer. For, so for any cancer, not just breast cancer, for man, woman, or child, unfortunately, that you know, children do get cancer. And, and we're completely complimentary, by the way, for our services for children with cancer. And I could talk about that. But what we then do is... The cancer patient gets that biopsy sequenced by an, and gets a next-gen sequencing panel. And that can be done by public companies like LabCorp or Quest or Gardent or Keras uh, or private labs. That's our input. Uh, so we get that PDF or the doctor's office inputs that on our private site. And if a doctor wants to recommend a three-drug combination, there's literally over four and a half million combinations. It's beyond human cognition to process that. So that's what CureMatch does. We match and we say, based on this patient-specific cancer, which there's no other, no two cancers are ever the like, are alike. So we be, it's true precision medicine based on this person's molecular cancer profile and all the drugs and combinations available. Here's our report recommending the top three drug, two drug, one drug combinations. And that report then is used by the oncologist uh, to ultimately determine what care they want to give their patient alongside the patient's history. Are they obese? Do they drink? Do they smoke? Uh, you know, is there other history? And so we're, we're not there to replace the doctors, but doctors using AI will replace doctors that are not. So it makes sense. So just to kind of recap what you said, that your AI process, if you will, is making it a lot more efficient to be able to prescribe or to understand the circumstance, the diagnosis, much faster than before. So uh, I think from a patient perspective, we're going to, what you're probably trying to say is we're going to get the right treatment, the right drug, the right intervention, uh, more so than we would have had to have gotten in the past and maybe even faster. Am I correct in that? Yeah, no, that was very accurate. And, and I'm happy to share, by the way, it's public information now. The American Medical Association on January 1 announced that CureMatch got its uh, CPT code. So they granted us a first of its- Oh, that's good. Big deal. 
That's great. And congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Wait, so just tell the, I mean, not everybody understands what a CPT code is. So I just give them a quick 10 seconds on what that means. Yeah. Yeah. 10 seconds. It means that now, uh, insurance can be billed for it and yes. there can be reimbursement instead of it being out of pocket. Um, right. In the elective. And the American Medical Association, the AMA is the body that grants those. And, and it's, uh, it, it's a huge validation that, because we have to show clinical validity. We have to show scientific sure. validity. And it certainly didn't help to get, you know, s- some top oncologists from top institutions sending in, you know, their letters of support saying that cure match has changed my therapy decision. That's fantastic. And to go back to what you said before, you had said that there is a higher likelihood for women to have a heart attack or heart incident unsuspecting uh, of it coming right. than, say, a man would. A man would might actually have some sort of physical warning signs, but women necessarily maybe not. Is that true? Yeah, that's correct. Um, you, that's you know, a- I've talked to many cardiologists about this that we don't know why. Uh, they can't say why. Uh, women are asymptomatic, uh, whereas, you know, again, men, we tend to have chest pain, shortness of breath, indigestion. Right. Uh, women but, not. No. And like, and, and fatigue could be a symptom of heart attack coming for a woman. But you would but know you that. Never know. You just right. thought maybe you didn't get enough sleep. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's much more difficult. And so that's where, you know, the blood flows slower in the breast tissue, uh, breast arteries and capillaries, and then the heart. And so the calcification builds up earlier in the arteries and capillaries of the heart or the blood, I'm sorry, uh, the breast, I'm sorry. And so if they're going in for the mammogram anyway, it's a two for one, no extra radiation, no extra discomfort. It's not fun to go get a mammogram, but it's the right thing to do and at least get the impact out of it. And so then if we can detect that calcification, which by the way, calcification builds up in all our bodies as we get older, but some have a propensity for it to happen faster, right? Or lifestyle uh, change that they need to make. And so if you can, again, detect it earlier, then you get that patient to see a cardiologist when she looks relatively healthy at 42, instead of 10 years later, she has a heart attack and she's not the 65% that dies on that first heart attack and makes it, but now she's behind the eight ball. Yeah, that's fascinating you say that uh, because I think that the paradigm with it, with respect to heart attacks is that's a man's disease. You know, it's you you hear more stories of that, you see more representation of that, but you don't necessarily know that this is a huge issue for women. Let me ask you another quick question. You're kind of going off on a tangent. I remember many years ago I was talking to a chair of radiology over at uh, Mayo Clinic down in Phoenix, and and his perspective was at some point. You know these dark rooms where these docs go into and read their their um their slides. You know, and and that's what they do all day. You know, take a break to right. go out and use the restroom and eat. But they're looking at slides, and then based on what they see on those slides uh, of the body, whatever part of the body, then they go and make the recommendation moving forward. And his thought was, you know, at some point this is going to be uh, an industry that we're going to no longer see. It would no longer be done by human beings. This will be something that will be done by machines or AI and so forth. Are we there yet? Is that something that, are we getting close to radiologists uh, needing to start brushing up on some other skills? It, it, look, we get that question a lot and and no, my opinion is no. Again, um, AI is not going to replace the doctor, it's not the, the, the radiologist in this case, but the radiologist using it will replace the radiologist that it's not. It doesn't. Okay. It's another tool in their toolbox to deliver better care for their patients, to be more efficient, 
uh, AI doesn't, the algorithm, it doesn't need a coffee break. It doesn't have food coma after lunch. It doesn't get distracted. And we, in fact, have uh, uh, several imaging center owners and uh, quite a few radiologists that have invested in the company because they use what we've built and they see the value of it. We're not just a website or a PowerPoint. And, and as uh, one of the top uh, radiologists in, in uh, the Southern California area had shared with us, he said, when I sit down at 6 p.m. and I'm going to read mammograms for the next four hours, I don't want to get that suspicious case at 9.52 p.m. I want to get that first thing. And so we can, that's what uh, our FDA cleared product does, where we batch and say this batch, no anomalies detected. Look at it when you have time. This other batch, anomalies detected. Look at these images ASAP, into these women ASAP. Um, and, and so just that simple workflow tool is a huge benefit for them to get to those women that you know, need to have follow-ups faster. Uh, and yeah. because we're 100% cloud-based, by the way, we can go into entire healthcare systems and there's backlogs. And in, in some countries, uh, uh, in Portugal, for example, uh, a, a woman has to wait you know, six months to get a mammogram. And then sometimes it could take another four or five months to have it read. So she could literally have cancer growing inside her for almost a year before anything is done. And so we could literally go in and process that backlog of mammograms uh, in no time and say, these are the women you need to get to now. And, uh, and that, that's, a, again, a huge benefit when we have shortages of radiologists. So I don't think radiologists are going away. We need more doctors. We need more yeah, radiologists. for sure. I understood. But again, it's another tool or their toolkit that they didn't have before. And those that don't use it are the ones that are probably at risk versus those that do. Exactly. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. I, I, I'm not, I'm not in the, the robots and AI are taking the world camp. Yeah, I got it. I just was curious. I, I mean, people ask that question. So do you, do you not, um, sort of host a, an annual summit over there in San Diego? Uh, there else? not us, uh, per, per se. Yeah. No, no, that's not us. Uh, there, I mean, there are a lot of conferences in San Diego. Um, but I, I'm just curious. I just saw something on that. Oh, well, let me ask you that from a um, sort of a visionary perspective, you know, if you, and because obviously some people are going to listen in on this who are very much interested in some of the details and the nit and gritty of, of healthcare sure. and others are going to say, eh, I don't know, maybe it fits, maybe it doesn't. But I guess my question to you is, if you were to think out ahead in the next, say, 20 years, um, where do you see healthcare going? How, how is a patient going to experience healthcare differently than they do now? And, you know, whether that means the way it's billed, the cost, the experience interacting with their doc, the speed at which they get access, you know, um, how is healthcare, the experience of receiving healthcare going to feel differently in 20 years? Um, there's a lot there. Uh, one, I think that uh, uh, we need to interact, get to the patients, uh, get, you know, there's a lot of middlemen in there and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we could pull up our iPhone and pull up our bank account, our stock accounts, our, you know, our mortgages, anything, but you can't pull up your blood work or mammogram or x-ray. And then to be able to share that, you know, freely. So that technology exists now, but it needs to, uh, it'll be in 20 years, it'll be Definitely. A lot more robust. Yeah, because I know like even yesterday somebody was saying, oh yeah, so I see you've been a patient before. 
you know, let's make sure that your information is up to date so that we can have you access your quote unquote patient portal. So I guess exactly. all my information is going to be there, but you're saying this is going to get a lot more robust. It, you know, what are the types of... It's going to be in our hands, right? It's going to be here on our, our phones where we as the patient uh, can share that freely. And with the 21st Century Cures Act that was passed, I think it was uh, uh, in 2020 or 2021, by law, we all as individuals have a right to any of our own data. And if a, uh, a doctor, an imaging center, a lab, uh, anyone in the healthcare field does not share that, there are huge penalties. So we all now have access to our own data and have a right to request that. And then and that's where, again, I'm a big proponent of getting second opinions, because if you have your own x-ray, your own mammogram- Yeah, you can just share it. You can share it easily with another healthcare professional or- So I have to ask you the question, what about HIPAA? You know, basically the law that says that your healthcare information is private, you, you don't have to share it unless you give permission to do so. You know, that was, uh, where are we standing on that issue? I know with COVID, it brought up a lot of concerns about, you know, if I'm going on a plane, do I have to share my information in my right. being? And explain and unpack that a little bit, if you could, for people. Well, I, I mean, I, we're we're 100% HIPAA compliant. We have our ISO 13485 certificate. Uh, and, and so, of course, it's very private information, that the you know, personal health info. So if it's shared, the patient has to allow that. And if the patient has it themselves, then of course they can share it. But, you know, that does get into elements of cybersecurity as we've had several uh, breaches of hospitals, right? Scripps Health here in San Diego, you know, had a big breach and uh, a lot of healthcare information was stolen. So I think we're going to see some big spending on, on the eye side of you know, these large organizations because they have a duty to protect that information and doesn't mean that uh, there won't be attacks, but uh, cyber attacks, but there's a standard of care in, in doing everything an organization can to keep their patients' healthcare record, records uh, uh, locked down. I guess that the flip side of it is, if, if, can, a, can a government, a municipality, out of the, the context of public health and safety, require people to share certain aspects of their health records, i.e. whether or not somebody got a vaccination. So that, that's, uh, that's above my pay grade. Uh, okay. I just thought I'd ask since you're in the world. But I would say that there's a balance, right? There's a balance between uh, what is private and what is shared for the good of the population at large. Yeah. And in, in, by the way, there's national security interest for this. So in China, there's no privacy. Right. China, one can say that because uh, the the people don't have any that you know their data is in private, so it could be used to train their algorithms faster to maybe develop technologies faster than we can, and that is a competitive advantage that China has that we do not. Um, ah. So there's no privacy, but they can develop some certain technologies faster. I think there's a delicate balance between. Uh, balancing what's best for the population at large and and one's own privacy. And I think people should be able to opt in to say, yes, you could use my uh, genomic sequencing for R&D to develop a new drug because Great. I have the markers that might be the onset of 
Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. Sure, sure. I mean, but that's where, you know, I'm in the camp of, you know, the individual has to be able to allow that or opt in or sign off and, and on that. Fair enough. And I, I'm not expecting that you are a federal policymaker on, on all this. <laughs> I was just sort of curious, but you no, no, no. It. It, was a, it was a contentious thing there for a while. I know people were uh, concerned about that in using HIPAA as sort of the, wait a minute, I thought all this was private. What do you think about uh, Nadid in the future? You know, I'm hearing more and more companies using uh, like Fitbits and, and smartwatches to be able to, you know, collect and monitor real-time data regarding sleep and blood pressure and heart rate and all this stuff I think is obviously going to become more and more useful. What do you what do you see in terms of devices that we might be interacting with that maybe we are now in say you know a couple of decades, you know? Oh, yeah, I, more of them or less of them? What what's your sense? I think there's gonna be more of them. And uh you know, a lot of people have their eye watches now. Um, not everyone, uh, but I know of several cases where that watch saved someone's life. It detected, for example, it, it, for example, it detected high resting heartbeat, and this person was having a glass of wine, sitting at a restaurant. It, it, high resting heartbeat. It means they weren't working out, right. they weren't doing anything, and it was high, right? So. They went to their primary care doctor that said, huh, that's unusual. Why don't we get you to the cardiologist? The cardiologist did an EKG, did a stress test. Those seemed okay. But then they uh, got a calcification score and there was high calcification, which is an onset of heart disease. And so that patient is now on uh, heart disease medication. And but for that luck, that they would have never felt because they didn't feel any discomfort. It was just a high resting heartbeat. And and so that person potentially just added missed it. Yeah. yeah. And, but easy that then at some point maybe a a Fitbit or a like a smart watch like you you described would just become ubiquitous. It's part of like your health plan that maybe even gets reimbursed by insurance yeah. companies as a way to reduce the cost to the insurance company for paying for these types of things. So let Hey, it's it's a lost leader. It's good for us. Let's just spend the millions of dollars getting everybody in our plan a Fitbit because we know that we will have early detection, which will cost us le- less down the road when it comes to you know making claims or paying. I think claims. you're I, I think you're spot on with that uh, pointing. And and the fact is, if you look at you know the deepest pockets in healthcare, it's the pharma companies and the payers, the insurance companies. Yeah. And so, right. If, if if you could help. Get your covered lives as an insurance company. Get them to, you know, monitor and detect any disease—cancer, heart disease, diabetes, anything—earlier. The cost of treatment is significantly less. The you know the the average cost of a heart attack in the U.S. is one hundred four thousand dollars from the moment the wow. paramedics show up to whatever the end result is. Wow. If you detect early and get that patient on statins, statins cost nothing, right? And uh, and then, it, of course, there are revenue drivers because now a cardiologist has a patient earlier. They do the EKG yeah. stress test, but that costs much less to the healthcare system than the heart attack and the you know and the complications there. And on the cure match side, if we recommend the best combination of drugs earlier, they're not wasting money on drugs that aren't going to not only help, but in many cases, those drugs are toxic, and a lot of patients succumb to the 
side effects of those treatments earlier. So that's part of this whole infrastructure that you see AI, the coordination with the individual to the care provider to maybe even insurance companies is going to slowly get built out. So I have to ask you, is there a particular, uh, if you know the answer, I don't know whether you do, but is a particular type of watch or Fitbit or device that you would wear that would be the kind that one would want to get? Or, is that, or do they all do the same thing? I don't even know. I, I don't want another watch because I don't really want to be bothered by emails and texts. It's already enough for me. So I, I would right. probably have to turn that off. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, no, definitely turn that off. I'm not here to endorse any product by any means. I, I understand. Yeah, yeah. I, I certainly don't get paid by Apple anything. No, uh, right. Not that they need me for uh, anything. But I, I personally wear an Apple iWatch. I like it. But I also don't want it to ding me with emails and notifications. So I have yeah. all that. I use it to track my my sleep and heartbeat predominantly. And I keep it pretty simple. Because I it's like you. I, I don't need to you know get my... Any notifications from LinkedIn or Facebook or anything else? Oh, I know. Uh, I'm trying to be. So, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to like divorce myself a little bit from my addiction to technology so that I can, you know, uh, you know what I mean. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a blessing and a curse. So. Oh, it sure is. And, and, well, it's uh, interesting because I know that I think it was Farmers Insurance. We, our carrier, I think it's Farmers. And they had this new program that came out about six months ago that said if you sign up for this particular you know, service, which will be free. Basically what we do with your particular car, we can monitor how fast you drive, whether you come to a full stop, you know, all of these things that really monitor exactly what you're doing in that car. And as a result of that, we're going to give you a better rate, right? And that's what made me think like, I bet that's going to eventually be something we're going to see in healthcare. Absolutely. I mean, there's already been controversy around, uh, you know, an employer saying you can't smoke because that's going to increase, right? So like these, are these, and I don't know what happened with that. I was from a couple of years ago that, you know, someone was denied a job because they were a smoker. But right. I look, I mean, at the end of the day, I think I'm in the camp that as, as a business owner and that has to cover healthcare costs, you have a right to hire or not hire, you know, in, you know, based on various factors, and right. so I could see the argument there, right. um, but and and there is a lot of privacy that is lost, and that 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 insurance company knowing where you're driving and how fast and where you stop, and yes, that could be hacked and it could be used for bad purposes. Sure, uh, and, and I I think you know just just uh, uh, not just in healthcare generally, technology is not good or bad. It's how is it used, right? So yeah. when the automobile was invented, there were people that said, what's going to happen to the people that fix the horse buggies and take care of the horses? They're going to lose their jobs. Um, and and they did. But look at all the jobs that were created uh, because of the automobile. And also, you look on the negative side, look at the tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions uh, around the world that have been hurt in a car accident or died or got maimed. But the overall benefit to society of the automobile, I think, is obviously very profound. So that car is not evil. It's how is it used. And AI also, and technology at large, it's not good or bad. It's how is it going to be used. And of course, we, we have to do everything we can to mitigate the bad actors from using artificial intelligence, in this case, for nefarious purposes. Right on. Yeah. 
It was interesting. Uh, yesterday, I was talking to the CEO of a company called StoryFile. And it's essentially, it's an AI technology where, by which an individual would answer several, maybe a dozen, two dozen, a hundred different questions in a video uh, interview. And then they would become files. And so then you would go to a website and be able to ask your own question of that person on any number topic. And then that snippet comes up. It almost feels like you're actually having a real conversation with that person. I went to the bottom of their website and William Shatner, my hero, James T. Kirk, was there and I asked him about what kind of wine does he like to drink? And he gives me this whole situation about, you know, his his life in that. I was like, it was fascinating. And so it, I think that what she was telling me was that this is also going to be something that could be used in healthcare. Imagine a doctor being able to be a specialist in a particular area, you name it. And yep. they do their own video files on all the most common questions they're ever asked. And then a patient on their own in the pajamas, two o'clock in the morning when they can't sleep, goes online, asks the question of this particular physician and gets a real answer. And the, her point was that the ability of learning is exponentially higher when you can actually ask the questions of which you are interested in versus that being pushed to you. So anyway, it's just another one of these things that I think that we're going to see happen in healthcare. In addition to the work that you're doing, it's fascinating. No, I, I think that's a great example, uh, Dean. And 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 yes, the all, all these tools, you know, as simple or as fancy as they are, it comes down to again three buckets: detect, treat, monitor. Mm-hmm. Anywhere we could detect better, treat faster, more oftenly, and then monitor to you know catch any anomalies or any need reasons to then go in for to see the doctor. That's going to help prolong lives and save lives. Fantastic. And in the cancer sense, as doctors, the oncologists say, increase the progression-free survival and overall survival. So cancer is not a death sentence, but it's like diabetes, like HIV that people now live with for decades and decades and decades, whereas before it was a death sentence. Right. Well, the uh, fascinating conversation. Uh, Really, really interesting. You're doing some great work here. And I know we could have gone into so many different aspects of what the work that you do, but how can people follow you, get to know more about your work? Just give us a little bit of information on that. No, I'm happy to do that, Dean. So uh, if, if anyone goes to aimedglobal.com, they'll see our uh, links to CureMetrics and CureMatch, uh, or they can go directly to curemetrics.com or curematch.com. And we're on all the social feeds, LinkedIn, uh, predominantly, of course, and Twitter and, and, and Facebook and whatnot. But uh, and then our contact info is on the websites, uh, the phone number or info ad if uh, anyone wants to follow up. Fantastic. David, thank you for all your great work. Thank you, Dean. Thank you for listening to The Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.